0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message from our special guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you so much. It's so great to be back. Please take your seats. It's so good to be back in Faith Family Church. You know, I mention this every time I come here, but I, I, I can't resist mentioning it. You know, I, I've traveled to dozens, dozens, if not hundreds, I don't know how many churches I've been to over the years, I've been to many churches. I'm at, now at the end of a 12-day trip where I've been in six different states. And the very first trip I ever took when I started, when I left the world of Jewish education and, and decided to go full-time into building this relationship The spiritual relationship between Jews and Christians. And the first trip I ever took, the first time I ever spoke in a church, the first time I ever set foot in a church was Faith Family Church. And I was really nervous. I was really nervous that morning. I'd never been in a church before. I didn't know how I'd be received like a rabbi coming into church. By the way, is anyone here for the first time? Is anyone in this church for the first time today? Yeah? Oh, you're here for the first time? Oh, hi. How are you doing? It's good to see you again. Um, anyway, good. So ha- raise your hand if you've heard me speak before. Oh, a lot of people here. Okay, good. Okay, so we're, you know, we're family. We're comfortable. Um, but it was, a, it was a very, I was very nervous that morning when I came into a church for the first time, and I was greeted so warmly by Pastor Mike and Pastor Vicky, and it just disarmed all of my fears and I remember I stood up there, and I, I had written out every word of what I was going to say, and I read it, which I usually don't do. If you've heard me speak before, I don't read, you know, from a prepared text. But I did that morning because I was so afraid. And uh, so, it, you know, that was really the beginning of this journey of mine, of, uh, of this relationship, going around America, speaking in churches, speaking at Christian seminaries, speaking in synagogues, really trying to draw our communities into an awareness of, the, of what we share, the shared values, our shared love of God and love of Scripture. So thank you once again. I also want to tell you, you know, the pastors that you have are very special. And, you know, congratulations on the 40, on the 40 uh, years. I don't know if you all saw the little video I made. Um, and uh, but I just want to tell you a quick story, which maybe you're aware of. A few years back, I was on one of my trips in the states, and I get this, an urgent phone call, from Pastor Stephen Corey. You guys remember Pastor Curry from Bethlehem? Yes. So he, he so he called me, and he called me, and he said, "Listen," he said, "We got a really urgent problem. We have a Christian family here in Bethlehem who are they're not going to be able to send their children to the Christian school. The Christian school is a private school, and this family's destitute, and the, and the school tries to be." as benevolent as they can but this family really can't pay tuition the school has bills to pay and the stu- and these kids aren't going to be able to go to the Christian school and because of that they're going to have to go to the Muslim school run by the Palestinian Authority so do you know anyone who could help out with the tuition? so I, I remember I was I don't know what city I was in I was somewhere in America and I pulled into the, into the parking lot of a Dunkin Donuts and I, and I, I called Pastor Vicky and she just said how much is it? I told her, and she said, the check's on the way. And these children stayed in the Christian school in Bethlehem because of your church, because of your pastors. And so I just want you to understand, when you put money in those buckets, it's not just, you know, for these lights and this carpet and these chairs and, and what goes on here in Sioux Falls, but this is real. You're really sowing into the kingdom of God. And, and, uh, and thank God for Pastor Mike and Pastor Vicki. Um. I should probably get to my message, right? Just <laughs> telling stories. Uh, yeah, this is the last stop on a long trip, and uh, no better place. Okay, so today we're going to explore the priestly blessing, the three verses in the book of Numbers that are called the priestly blessing. You heard them before? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. The priestly, okay, you know what? I see a lot of hands did not go up. So let's put that first slide up there. You've probably heard these verses, you just didn't know they were called the priestly blessing. In the Bible, this is the blessing that, that, uh, that Aaron, the brother of Moses, the high priest, and his, his offspring, who are the priests, the kohanim, uh, the priests of, of, the, of, the, of the people of Israel, are to bring God's blessing to the people of Israel by, by saying these three verses. The Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will shine his face towards you and he will be gracious to you the Lord will lift up his face to you, or turn his face to you, depending on the translation you have, we'll get to that in a few minutes, and grant you peace. Okay, that's the priestly blessing. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna really understand deeply by digging into some of the Hebrew, and really looking at what these phrases mean in the Bible, and really understand what the message of this blessing is. Okay, are we ready? Ready to study the word? okay again you've heard me speak before so you know we're gonna nitpick and we're gonna we're gonna read carefully here we go so let's first pay attention to the fact that in these three verses there are six things that God will do each verse has two things that God will do notice everyone see that we have bless keep shine his face be gracious Lift up his face or turn his face. Again, you can look in, if you have translations in front of you that aren't this one, I I invite you to look at them so you see the differences. And the last thing is grant you peace. Okay, I'm going to tell you a bit of the punchline now so you know where we're going. What we're looking at here is that there's actually a progression of these six these six uh, blessings that God will give. It's not just six different things that God says he's going to do, but they're in a particular order. They're laying out... They have an agenda. Let's say it that way, okay? So let's just start going through them. Let's... uh, Could I have the next slide? Let's look at the first first verse first. So this is the first verse. The first verse has three words. You know, in Hebrew... Hebrew is a very economical language. So... uh, prefixes and suffixes can be added on to a, a word that in English become whole words so the Lord will bless you which is I guess five words the Lord will bless you in Hebrew is two words okay and that's the first two words Yivarechacha Adonai Yivarechacha means he will bless you and the second word Adonai means the Lord right the Lord will bless you and keep you so The Lord will bless you is nice, right? If I say to you, oh, I'm going to bless you, and we bless each other, we're people of faith, we use the word blessing a lot, but in the Bible, the word blessing actually has a very specific meaning. It refers to abundance, which is also, it's how we use it, but we also use it more generally, but in the Bible, it's more specific. Let's take a look at the first time the word blessing is ever used in the Bible. Can I have the next slide? This is the first time the word appears, and it's one of the, uh, one method of a biblical exegesis, of digging into the meanings of words that we use in Jewish tradition, is looking carefully at the first time that a word appears. Because the first time a word appears in the Bible, it's not in reference to anything else. It's the first time it appears. So we understand it in our tradition that the first time a word appears is kind of the essential meaning of the word. And then every other subsequent time is in context of that first time. Okay, something to think about when you're reading the Bible. So it's always good to go to that first place. So the fir- this is the first time, the first thing that ever gets blessed. You know, it's not the Sabbath or man. No, it's fish. The fish are the first thing that ever get a blessing. Next time you look at fish, you think, wow, the first thing God ever blessed was fish before us. But what does it say there? Take a look at that verse. And God blessed them, okay, that's the same word. If you think back to that word we had on the previous screen, that means bless. God blessed them, blessed the fish, saying be fruitful and multiply. So the blessing wasn't that they're gonna be, that they're going to be smart, that they're going to have some spiritual value. No, blessing means there's going to be a lot of you. Abundance. And we see the same thing in another notable verse about blessing that comes up in the next book, the book of Exodus. We have the next slide. And he will bless your bread and your water. Very nice verse. It doesn't mean that he's going to make your bread and your water taste better or he's going to make it more spiritual. It means, simply, there's going to be a lot of it. Okay, blessing means abundance. Keep it simple. Okay. Are you sitting through this again? Okay. Okay. I'll try to add something in that I didn't say the first time. Okay. okay. Somebody, people come to the first service and the second service, right, you know. All right. Um, okay. So what we have here is God will bless. Now, for the word, for the second thing He'll do in this verse, God will bless you and keep you. So the English word "keep" actually has a kind of two meanings. It could mean. Ownership, right? I have something and I'm keeping it. It means that I'm not surrendering ownership. But that's actually not what the Hebrew word shamar, which is this word, yishmarecha, does, that's not what the word means. It means keep in the sense of guarding or protecting. Now, you do protect the things that you own. These are obviously related words. Keep is not a bad translation. It's just in the English, it, 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 it's a little bit vague. It really means to protect, to guard, meaning in the Bible where it talks about uh, people guarding the city, soldiers on guard, that's the same verb that's used. They don't, the soldiers don't own the city, right? They're guarding the city. They're protecting the city. So this opening verse of the priestly blessing, the Lord will bless you and protect you and guard you and keep you, means God will grant us abundance. That could be abundance of Wealth, it could be also abundance of us, meaning we will be fruitful and multiply like the fish. Right? God will He'll grant us abundance and He will protect us. He'll protect that abundance. Because if you have abundance and it's not protected, it's not very useful because you're gonna lose it. So God will grant us abundance, He'll grant us resources, financial resources, human resources, and He will also protect what He has granted us. Okay, that's the first, that's the first verse. And I'm telling you right now, it's the easiest of the three verses to understand. Okay, uh, let's skip the the next slide and uh, just jump to the Lord will shine. Thank you. The Lord will shine his face towards you, and he will be gracious to you. That's very nice. That sounds very, like, biblical and churchy, right? The the Lord will shine his face. What exactly does it mean that the Lord will shine his face? There's a lot of ways to say that, that God is showing his love for us or... What does it particularly mean the Lord will shine his face? So what we're going to do is what we've done before. If you remember when we did Psalm 23 last time I was here or other teachings that I've done, I like to use the Bible to explain the Bible. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And what I mean by that is when you see a phrase or a word and you're not exactly sure what it implies, so you look elsewhere in the Bible to see how that phrase or word is used, And from that, you understand what it actually means, and then you bring that back into your context, which is what we just did with the word bless, right? The Lord will bless you. Okay, what does bless mean? So we looked at the first time it was used. We look at other places. The word blessing appears. It means abundance. We bring that back into our verse. So we're going to do that now with the Lord shining his face. Now, the Lord shining his face... um, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the first part of the verse. We're going to do that second. The end of the verse says, he will be gracious to you. We're going to deal with that first, actually. Um, What does it mean that he'll be gracious to us? What does it mean to be gracious? To be nice? Does it mean to be generous? Does it mean to take care of us? We want to get precise. So we have the next slide. This is the Hebrew word, vihu neka, and he will be gracious to you. So what do we got there? Seven words, and he will be gracious to you. Seven words in one Hebrew word, vichuneka. So we have to break it down. The beginning of the word, viye, is it's really, and, I should have, I messed this up a little bit. It should be, and he will, is viye, so the he will should be on that upper line. I'll fix this for next church. And then we have the end of it, the eka at the end means to you. That's a suffix. Okay, so the root here is hun. Sometimes it's pronounced, in, depending on the, on the word, it could be chun or chen, it's, these, it's two Hebrew letters, and it means grace in this verse. But the truth is that it has two meanings. Throughout the Bible, wherever this root appears, chun or chen, whatever it appears, it has two meanings that are related, but they're different. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you an example of each of them, but these are only examples It appears many, many times in the Bible. And then we're going to have to decide which one is the right meaning for the priestly blessing. Which one is being intended in this verse? What is God doing in this word vichuneka, that he'll be gracious to us? Because in the previous verse, he's already blessed us and he's already protected that blessing. What's this? Okay? Everyone with me? Good. Here we go. So let's look at uh, the next slide. This is an example of this word in uh, Psalm 123 As the eyes of the of a maid like a maid servant maid isn't an employee maid it's a servant as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress so our eyes look to the Lord our God until and here's our word yikhonu until he will have mercy on us same word, you see it's the yichun, the same word, you see that exact same word underlined, and then a different suffix, because it's us instead of you. But that's to have mercy. It's not exactly the same as grace. There's a difference between mercy and grace. You have mercy on someone who's needy, who's, 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 uh, who's subservient. You have mercy on them. You have pity on them. Right? That's mercy. That's one meaning of this word. That's one possibility of what it means here. And then we have a different usage of the same root. Go to the next slide. This is a verse from the book of Esther. Esther had been been taken to the palace. She's one of, uh, part of that bizarre parade of girls being brought to the king so that he could choose who's going to be his queen. It's a very strange story there. Uh, it, it's not for little children, what goes on in that, in that story. No, it's, it's really, if you think about how depraved the Persian king was, that he's trying out all the girls in the kingdom. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the things that gets lost in the story is that if you read the book of Esther, after he chooses Esther, it says that they kept collecting girls and bringing them to him. I guess he kind of liked this. He's a sicko. He's the Persian king. Um, in any event, Esther is brought into the palace, and everyone who meets her really likes her. And that's what this verse means. Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And this phrase, to find favor in someone's eyes, when you read your Bible, you ever see that? So-and-so found favor in the eyes of so-and-so. It means that they like them. If you like me, it means that I have found favor in your eyes. Okay? Thank you. I appreciate that. So... Here, this doesn't mean mercy, because this isn't a a needy person who, like, you know, you have pity on them, you you show them mercy. They weren't showing mercy to Esther. In this verse, it means they liked her. So you see, these two words are related. They are the same root, because they both imply that someone is looking favorably or behaving favorably towards someone. But they're very different connotation. One of them is behaving favorably where you're helping out some needy person. That's the mercy one. And the other one is where you're looking favorably because you like them. They're impressive. If someone impresses you, they've found favor in your eyes. Okay? So we have to ask ourselves which one is it for our verse where when, when God says, vihunecha, and he will. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he'll find favor in our eyes, that we're going to like him but it also doesn't mean that we've found favor in his eyes. It's a very strange use of the word. What it actually means, and here, I'm not gonna digress into some technical lecture about Hebrew grammar and this strange construction of this word, but let me, you'll have to trust me here. What vihu means, if it means finding favor, it means that he's giving us favor so that other people will like us. He's giving us that, meaning whatever that thing is that people saw in Esther, that favor that they saw, that they liked her, God is, is granting us the ability to have people look at us and go, oh, wow, I like that. I like them. And I think it's one of our jobs as people of faith is that when people know that we are people who have faith in God, we should also make sure that they like us. Because if we do things that, that, that make them not like us, they're also going to not like God because we represent God as people of faith. I think we all know this, right? So that's what it's saying here, vichuneka means God will grant you, he'll give you favor so that people will find favor when they look at you, okay? And I think that that's the meaning of the word here. Now, why do I say that? Why why isn't it that God's showing us mercy? I'll make the case very simple from context. The previous verse already said that God will bless us and protect us. So at that point, once we're blessed with resources, with wealth, with abundance, and he's protecting us, he doesn't have to show us mercy, right? He's already blessed us. Mercy might have come before that, but at this point, what's he doing? Which brings us to the first half of this verse, which said, God will shine his face upon you. So now, what does that mean? So there are six other places in Scripture, only six, that refer to God shining his face. So we're going to look at all six of them quickly and see what does that phrase imply, God shines his face. And we're going to see that it's actually quite specific. So can we have the next slide, please? So the first of the six is Psalm 80, where the phrase actually appears three times. So that's not three of the six, sorry. That's, so it's actually like, I guess you could say it's like eight times because three of them are in one psalm. So this verse repeats itself almost word for word three times in this psalm. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. So God shines his face, and we're saved. Okay? That's verse number one. Let's go to the next one. It's in Daniel. This is a long quote, but we need it for the context here. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproached all around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant. This is is Daniel's prayer to God. Hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, shine your face on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Okay, so he's praying for the protection of Jerusalem, to save Jerusalem from complete destruction. Okay? So so far we seem to have a bit of a connection here. The previous one said, in Psalm 80, it said, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And here he's asking God to shine his face and save Jerusalem. Now just in case you think that that's a bit of a reach... Let's go to the next few quotes and we'll see this will come into focus. Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. Now he's talking to God, but he's referring to God in the third person. If you remember what we did on Psalm 23 about changing, sometimes we talk to God, sometimes we talk about God and we switch back and forth in Psalms. That's not our topic today. That was last time. But so don't be distracted by that. God be merciful to us And bless us, cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. There we have it again. Shining the face goes with salvation. Let's go to the next slide. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. You see the pattern here? Over and over again, the phrase shine your face is in the context, God shining his face is in the context of God saving us. Salvation and shining his face go together. In other words, that's what that phrase means. We're using the Bible to explain the Bible. God shining his face is is God in the posture, in the process of saving. Okay? Not blessing, not some other thing that God does, but saving. When God is saving, his face is shining. And let's, just to close this out so that we see all of them, let's uh, look at the next slide. Psalm 119. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statue. So save me from the oppression. Redeem me from the oppression of man. God is saving me from oppression. Shine your face. And finally, the last place that this appears in Scripture, well, in my list, it's not in order. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. Selah, didn't I read this one already? That your mayway be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Look at that. So we have God's salvation of individuals, God's salvation of the people of Israel, of Jerusalem, and God's salvation of all peoples. But for all of them, God is shining his face. Let the peoples praise you, O God, it continues. Let all the peoples praise you. So whether it's universal salvation, individual salvation, salvation of Israel, God shining his face means God is saving. Okay. So so far we have the first two verses pretty well sorted out. God will bless you. He'll give you resources. He'll give you resources. And he'll, he'll protect those resources. And then he will save you. And then he will grant you this, this chen. He'll grant you this likability. He'll give you that little, that little bit of talent that ability to go out there and have people listen to you, have people like you, they want to be around you. You see the progression what's happening here? See, God wants something from us. God wants us to be his agents in the world. He wants us to spread knowledge of him. We talked about this when we spoke about Psalm 23 the last time I was here. You might remember this where I talked about how our, our relationship to God shouldn't be just that we're happy sheep eating our grass and enjoying the blessings of God and saying thank you very much. But we're supposed to be living for, the, for his name's sake, to quote that psalm. We're supposed to be out there publicizing him. Like that's, our, that's our mission. So here we have it. God is... He's blessing us, he's giving us the resources, he's protecting us, he's redeeming us, and then he's granting us the ability to influence others. That's what that chen is, the ability to influence other people in a positive way. So what comes next? Actually, let's take a look. This is summed up in the next slide. The Lord shall shine his face towards you means God will redeem you from exile and oppression, human oppression, spiritual oppression, emotional oppression, God will redeem us, and he shall be gracious to you. Again, I don't like that translation. It really means he will grant you favor in the eyes of others so that you will be able to influence them and, have, and to have faith in the God of Israel. Which brings us to our final verse. The Lord will lift up his face to you and grant you peace. Now, most English translations of this verse do not say the Lord will lift up his face to you. Some of them say he'll lift up your face, which is just a mistranslation. It's just wrong. It says he will lift up his face. It's pretty clear it says his face, not your face. And a lot of them just say he'll turn his face to you. I see you have a Bible open there, right? You have Bibles open there. What does it say? You have this? What does it say there? Upon you. Like, see, that's, see, that's kind of finessing it. The Lord will lift up his face upon you. What on earth does that mean? Does that make any sense to you? Can you act that out? He'll lift up his face on you. What exactly is he doing? He's lifting up his face on you? doesn't say that in the Hebrew. It says he'll lift up his face towards you. So why do they do that? Why do the translators do that? Or some of them say he'll simply he'll turn his face towards you. You have that in a lot of translations. Could I have the next slide. I put a couple popular ones up there. I just went to Bible Gateway and I looked for a few. So a common translation there in the NIV, for example, turn his face to you, right? Which isn't what it says. The Hebrew's pretty clear. He will lift up his face towards you, right? Or you have uh, the CSB. I don't even know what that is. Look on you with favor. That's just wrong. That's some sort of commentary. It's not a translation. Uh, If that's your favorite uh, Bible translation, I apologize. Uh, Not really, but whatever. Um... (laughs) Now, what does lifting up a face mean? What does lifting up a face mean? Like, What does it mean that God will lift up his face towards you? So in the Bible, we have a lot of lifting up of faces. But, uh, but quite a few of them, we're going to skip a few slides this time. I'm going to tell you which one to go to. A lot of the lifting up of faces in the Bible is people showing favor to other people. Where, like for example, judges are commanded in the Bible not to, not to play favorites. And it says, don't lift up the face of the wealthy. I mean, don't treat them better than they should be treated, right? Don't favor them. But that's me lifting up their face. There's only a few times in the Bible that refer to someone lifting up their own face. And that's what we have in our verse. We have God lifting up his face towards us. So what does that symbolize? What exactly is God doing there? And the translators don't like God lifting up his face towards us because it doesn't fit theologically with our understanding of our relationship to God. Like, God should be looking down at us. Not looking, like, if he's looking up at us, he's lifting up his face to us. Generally, if you lift up your face to look at something, it's above you. Right? So how does that work, that God's lifting up his face towards us? So, let's jump ahead to the verse from Job couple of slides ahead. Good. So here, again, we're using the Bible to explain the Bible. What does lifting up your face mean? So here's Job. One of his friends is talking to him. He says, surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. So lifting up the face is like seeking something. You're You're looking expectantly at, you know, you're a, you're subservient and you're looking at your master, you're looking at the, at at the one who could provide what you need. You're beholden to God. You lift up your face to him. That makes sense. And then we have the only other place in scripture that I found someone lift, using lift up your, lifting up his own face to convey something was in the book of Samuel. Strange context. Go ahead look at the next slide. Now, this is a situation where uh, there's two generals who are on opposite sides, Abner and Yoav, and they're having this kind of war game. They're not really battling. They're having this war game. You can read 2 Samuel um, chapter 2. It's a very interesting scene. And Abner doesn't want to kill Asael, who's chasing him in this war game, but he's chasing him very aggressively. And he says, you know, if I kill you, if I harm you, I'm not gonna be able to face your brother, who's the general Yoav. I'm not gonna be able to lift up my face to him. I'm not be able to. Now what does he mean by that? If I do something wrong to someone, I'm beholden to them. And I'm like, I'm indebted to them. And and I'm you know, they have something over me. So he's saying, I don't want to be I don't I'm not gonna be able to look at him, I'm not gonna be able to lift up my face to him. So it's a very different context than what we're talking about, but we still have a similar relationship of Job to God in the sense that lifting up your face is some is something that you do to someone who's who's got something over you, who's superior to you. A subservient lifts up their face to a superior. So what on earth is our verse talking about when it says that God will lift up his face to us? So let's think about that verse in Job. He's praying. He's lifting up his face to God, you know, expecting, expectantly and hopefully. And I believe that that's exactly what our verse is actually saying. Our verse is saying that after God blesses us, he gives us those resources, and he protects us, and he brings us salvation in our lives, and then grants us the ability to influence others, God then is waiting for us to do our job. See, God needs us. He really does. Oh, God doesn't have any needs. No, no, look. God's all-powerful. But the one thing God doesn't control, because he gave us free will, he doesn't control whether or not we choose to have faith in him. And there are many people who have chosen not to have faith in him. And God wants us to build his kingdom. He could split the sea again and bring 10 plagues and reveal himself in that kind of way and force himself on humanity, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants people to come to him and to discover him and to find him. And he wants us who have faith in him to be his agents, to, to publicize him and to bring people to him. So yes, after God has empowered us and saved us, and given us what we need to do this mission, he then waits expectantly, hopefully, for us to do what we have to do. So, poetically speaking, in the, in the priestly blessing, it describes God as looking to us, as though praying, as it were, like Job, looking to us, hopefully, that we will spread knowledge of him to the earth which of course ends with the end of that verse, which is that that will bring peace. The true pre- peace will come when we have spread knowledge of God to all the, to all the earth. So that's the progression of these verses. Can we go back to the first slide and reread all the verses together? Go back to slide one. The Lord will bless you and keep you. He will give you abundance. He'll protect you. He will shine his face towards you, meaning he will bring you salvation he will be gracious to you meaning he will grant you favor in the eyes of others he will give you the ability to influence people and then he will wait expectantly hopefully for us to spread knowledge of him to the rest of the earth which will eventually bring peace the priestly blessing is not just a blessing but it's also a roadmap for our mission it's telling us that this is what this is why we are blessed, you know because God blesses us. oh yay, God blesses me. End of story, thank you very much. Why does God bless us? What does He want from us? He wants us to spread knowledge of him to the earth, and he wants us to feel empowered. I just want to share uh, a few thoughts that actually somewhat relate to this but are really about what 's going on in our world today and in America because We need to feel empowered in our faith. And we need to be bold about professing that faith. Because we live in a world where right now it's kind of like the opposite of empowerment is ruling the day. People are living in fear. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. I travel, you know, I was home in Israel for a year without traveling. After, you know, I travel usually eight or nine times a year to the States and visit communities, churches all over the place. And I took a year off because of COVID, not my own choice. And then a few months ago, I started traveling again. And I've, this is my third trip since April, visiting different states, different churches, and there's anxiety and fear everywhere. And the United States of America was founded by people who feared God. And because they feared God, listen to me, because they feared God, they feared nothing else. And today in America... There's a lot of fear, and there are people in positions of power who want us to be afraid. They want us to be afraid of all kinds of things, of COVID, of the climate, of each other. All kinds of fears are being, are being pushed, and we must not be afraid. People of faith cannot be afraid because we fear only God. And I just want to read you a quote about America that struck me uh, many years ago when I read it. And I've been thinking about it a lot these last few months. When my youngest daughter, who's now 12 years old, was about four, five. So my wife, who usually would put her to bed, instead of reading her like a a different bedtime story every night, decided to read her a whole set of books. And each night, read one chapter. And she was going through The Little House on the Prairie books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Raise your hand if you've read those books. Oh, wow, even some guys. Look at that. <laughs> Great books, right? So now, I full disclosure, I haven't read them in their entirety. I've only read occasional chapters when I would be on bedtime duty. So I would, it would be my turn to put her to bed. I would pick up the book. Wherever the bookmark was, I'd read that chapter. So in one of the books, a book called The Long Winter, there's a scene where they are at a July 4th celebration. They go into town in Dismet, which is not so far from here, and they and they're at a July 4th celebration. And at the July 4th celebration, they did something, which frankly I think they should start doing again in America, where they have a public reading of the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Yes. Okay. You can start right here. And after the in this scene, after the reading of the Declaration of Independence, they sang a song. There was no the Star Spangled Banner wasn't the national anthem yet. Uh, but they sang a song called, America, Tis of Thee I Sing. If any of you know that song. It's an old American song. And one of the lyrics of the song uh, refers to God as the author of liberty. So that's the scene. okay? And so this, this, this takes place. They sing the song, and there's, and there's the reading of the declaration. And then I quote from the book. The crowd was scattering away... But Laura, 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 you know, in the book. Laura stood stock still. Suddenly she had a completely new thought. The declaration and the song came together in her mind and she thought, God is America's king. She thought, Americans won't obey any king on earth. Americans are free. That means they have to obey their own consciences. No king bosses pa. He has to boss himself. Why, she thought, when I'm a little older, pa and ma will stop telling me what to do and there isn't anyone who has the right to give me orders. I will have to make myself be good. Her whole mind seemed to be lighted up by this thought. This is what it means to be free. It means you have to be good. Our father's God, author of liberty. That's the lyric from the song. The laws of nature and of nature's God endow you with a right to life and liberty. Then you have to keep the laws of God, for God's law is the only thing that gives you the right to be free. <clears throat> this isn't really, you know, and I'm reading this, my daughter's like four years old, and I'm reading this and I'm like... This is a pretty sophisticated piece of theology. This is, like, this, you know, People talk about faith and freedom as things we care about, but what the great theologian Laura Ingalls Wilder has just taught us is that, is that faith and freedom are intertwined, that having faith in God means that you are not subservient to man. And it means that you are free and you are, but, with that, but that freedom is in the context of faith in God, which brings you a moral basis, an ethical basis, a faith basis, a faith direction for your life. It's not the freedom of chaos. Because freedom without God begins in chaos, which of course of necessity leads to human power, coming in to solve the chaos and a restriction of freedoms. So the only way to really be free on this earth and good is to have faith in God. That's what she's saying. And I thought to myself, after I read it, I said, that is the theology of being American. That's what that is. That's what being American is. And we need to rediscover... This. And what I mean by this is that right there at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God essentially says the same thing. He says, I am the Lord your God. Before we finish the verse, this is the Ten Commandments. God speaking to a nation for the first time. He could introduce himself in many ways. He could say, I am the Lord your God who created heaven and earth. He could say, I am the Lord your God, God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not what he says. He says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, let me tell you a little, see, the rabbi never stops being a rabbi. When the Bible, you know, in the Bible, there's no italics. There's no bold face. There's no underlining. The way the Bible emphasizes things is by adding in an extra phrase, sort of repeating itself, and thereby saying, this is the main point, which is what we do with bold and italics and underlines. If you're reading the book of Exodus and you're up to Exodus 20, you know that Egypt was the place where they were slaves. The verse could have just said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. But God doesn't stop there. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, I'm about to enter into a covenant with you. I'm about to give you the laws of basic morality and ethics that are going to govern society properly. I am the Lord your God who freed you from human bondage. That's how he opens the Ten Commandments. That's who I am as God. And that's the God that we believe in. That's the God that the founders of this great nation believed in. That's the God of Israel. And those forces in this country who are opposed to many of the values, all of the values that you hold dear, who are working to take them away from you, isn't it interesting that so many of them also despise Israel? Folks, because they go together. Because the people of Israel's right to our land is rooted in the Bible. And the existence of a flourishing state of Israel with millions of Jews from the four corners of the earth is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And there's nothing that the secular left fears more than the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. So folks, when you're, when you're thinking about all those things you hold dear, all those biblical values you hold dear, support for Israel isn't just helping out the Jews. Oh, we like the rabbi. Here's an Israeli flag. We're going to help Israel. Support for Israel is support... For your biblical values that's what it is and support for biblical values is support for freedom it's a support for faith I could go on and on for hours I do have a flight to catch um, so I'm gonna go you know I'll be back thank you so much for listening please teach your children please one more teach your children not to be afraid the more afraid we are the less we are in covenant with God teach your children not to be afraid That is, I think, the the call of the hour. And talk about God. Profess your faith. Be bold about it. Have God on your lips. When you buy something in a store and you you get your change, say to the person, God bless you. Just add that in. Talk about God. We need more of that in this country. We need more of that in this world. There's a lot at stake right now, folks. And and don't be afraid of getting involved in politics. I, I mean that. King David, as far as I can tell, was very involved in politics. Moses, I don't know about you, I read the Bible, Moses was really involved in politics. (laughs) Jeremiah, he was pretty involved in politics. Folks, it's, you know, so many people of faith, oh, I don't want to get involved in politics. You don't want to get involved in politics? I know a lot of people in this country who are more than happy to get involved in politics and take away everything that you hold dear. So feel free to express your faith by getting involved. Get involved, pay attention. Uh, I, I don't know if you needed a rabbi from Israel to come to South Dakota to tell you this, but we are in this fight together, folks. The biblical, the biblical underpinnings of Western civilization hang in the balance. So God bless you. Oh, one last thing. I, I, I don't do social media anymore. So if you friend me on Facebook, I, maybe when I log in every now and then, I'll see it and I'll accept it. But I, I was kind of shadow banned, so I stopped posting stuff. So I'm not really there. Uh, I do make media appearances in various places. I'm working on some other stuff and a podcast coming up. Um, Do any of you listen to American Family Radio? Anyone, you never heard of it? Well, I was, uh, because I was there this week and they interviewed me, there's stuff online. If you Google my name, you'll find speeches and videos and things if you want more, more messages. I wish I had more contact information to give you, but I've kind of disengaged from all that stuff. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. And God bless uh, Pastor Mike and Vicki for 40 years in ministry. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And you're all blessed to be here. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30. We also have a midweek service on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.